0: It's time to turn in our Bibles to the Book of Joshua. We are continuing our March verse by verse through the Book of Joshua. If you uh, missed last week, I encourage you to go back and listen to. Um, I believe Pastor Ryan did a fantastic job of Joshua chapter one. I, I've heard. I have not myself listened to it just yet, but I plan to. So I also use the podcast. So I use it. You should use it too. Um, we're going to be in Joshua chapter two. We're going to be doing God fulfills His promises, which is the overarching name of the series. We're going to be in Joshua chapter 2 focusing on Rahab and the spies. Um, as we are moving through that, um, this is a wonderful um, story just of God's redemptive plan. But I want to just, as we're turning to that uh, particular part of the Bible, I want to let you know that this is a very special book to me because it shows kind of a, a, a pre-shadowing or a uh, prefiguration of Christ in the Old Testament. Not the Christ that we know in the New Testament, but I just want to give you some little fun tidbits that are in here. The name Joshua uh, actually is the Hebrew name for Yeshua, which means Yahweh is salvation or the Lord saves. And the way that we know the name Jesus is really just the Greek or Anglicized name, which means also the same thing, Yahweh saves or the Lord is our salvation. But both names carry the same kind of significance. Both names are attached to people who were designed to give deliverance and also salvation. And so Joshua is known as the person that is going to help deliver the people of Israel to the promised land. What's interesting about Jesus Christ is that he was the person that is going to not only deliver us to the promised land for Christians or for all believers, which is heaven, but also to the full promises of God. You understand the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. A lot of people put it that way, but the New Testament is the Old Testament Revealed. So you can see what Jesus Christ does is bring out the full, complete fruition of what has been planned from the beginning of time. So when Adam and Eve sinned and they fell, we immediately have in Genesis chapter 3 a promise and a prophecy for Jesus Christ to provide deliverance and salvation. And not just because we are, you know, we're oppressed by this world, but deliverance and salvation from our own sins and even ultimately from the wrath of God. And so you can see that this is a strong type. So as we are marching through the scripture, you can see some, maybe some, I, I don't know, like some examples in your own life, but you can see that as they were delivered from slavery, which is the world, they were delivered from Egypt. Most times you can hear scholars call Egypt the world. That's like a archetype for the world. And Israel was delivered from the world and the slavery of the world to the promised land. But they didn't go immediately, did they? We read the book of Exodus and we found out they did a lot of twirls through the desert, right? Many, many, many twirls. What happened 40 years later, they're making it over there. But you can see that this promise took a while. This promise was initially given to Abraham and then it was given to Isaac and then it was given to Jacob and then we know the story then transfers to Joseph and then the nation of Israel was planted down in Egypt, grew very strong and the Egyptians, subjugated them in slavery and then now they have been delivered Um, but you have to think about this is they were delivered by one particular way and one particular uh, path, and that path was faith. And so when we walk through this, I want you to understand that what the Lord is presenting to you is that every single thing that is belonging to the Israelites is not necessarily a prescription to us as Christians. We don't have a land that has been prescribed to us. There is no Christian land, right? Israel has been delivered to the land of Israel, right? The land of Canaan became their promised land. Um, No matter what the Mormons tell you, we, we don't have a great spot of land anywhere. We have the promised one, which is Jesus Christ. And that is even better than the promised land, is it not? If you had to choose between Israel or Jesus, which one are you choosing? Jesus, right? So that's where we are. We are believing by faith that initially God did put this prescription as a land to build out his plan for his people, the nation of Israel. But ultimately, the nation of Israel was put in place to show us that there is a plan and a purpose for Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're walking out. Now, I want you to see some interesting parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament before we move forward. Look at Joshua 1, verse 3. It says... Everywhere they go, this is what the Lord promises promises uh, Joshua and his people. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. So Joshua chapter 1, verse 3 says, I will give you every place where you set your foot. That's a pretty powerful promise, isn't it? You could do all kinds of hops and skips through the nation of Israel, and the Lord would say, that's yours, that's yours, that's yours, right? Right? But you can see that this particular land was not open to the people underneath Moses. And I'm going to tell you why. Moses was actually a picture of the law. And as we understand, as we went through, and it's kind of interesting as we're going through uh, Galatians and Ephesians, right? We learned that the law wasn't necessarily good for salvation. It didn't actually provide salvation. You can't follow the law good enough because none of us are good enough to follow the law completely and perfect. There's only one person who did, and that's Jesus Christ, Right? And so what happens is Moses was never going to be the person to bring them into salvation because the law can't bring you into salvation. Now I'm gonna show you why that's so important for you to understand. You need to understand that for this particular slide. Moses was actually the school teacher and that's what the Old Testament and the New Testament point to the law. The, the whole point of us standing before the Ten Commandments is to understand that it is a guide to life. It is not the guide to life, and that is Jesus Christ. So here comes Joshua, or Yeshua, right, who comes along and says, remember, you followed, you tried to follow the Ten Commandments in the desert for 40 years. How good of a job did they do? Not very good, not very good. but yet was the Lord compassionate? Was the Lord kind? And did the Lord lead them to the promised land? absolutely but it didn't come until a deliverer showed up it wasn't it wasn't by the power of the people it wasn't by the power of they're able to please the lord by doing all the things that god had commanded them it was all by the promises of the lord so understand this as we walk out our life by faith everything that comes good to our life isn't because of our performance it's because of jesus's performance and that starts on the cross. It doesn't end on the cross. It starts on the cross and continues through his resurrection into your life. And he saves you because he is good and you need saving because you are not. And there by way, we can see that Jesus Christ or Yeshua, God is our salvation. God saves, shows up in your life because you were in desperate need. And he was wanting and willing to fulfill that need. I want you to see how that plays out to us as Christians in the New Testament. Look at the screens. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3. Interesting as you can see it. Remember, it was Joshua 1, 3 in the Old Testament. I don't know if God does that on purpose. But here we just went through Ephesians 1, 3. Look, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with what? Every Every spiritual blessing in Christ." Sounds very similar to when you put your physical foot anywhere in Israel, that's the land I'm gonna give you. But God is saying, if you follow me in faith through Jesus Christ, not perfection, not in who you are, not trying to get an A plus with Jesus, not trying to impress other people in church, but if you just follow Jesus in his promises, you will receive every spiritual Blessing. Why? Because the Lord wants to provide that for you, not because you've earned it. And so, this is why we, just like the nation of Israel, when we read this, when the Lord says go, we go. Because where is He leading us? Into every spiritual blessing. And so, if the Lord says, I want you to believe, guess what? We believe because we have faith and we understand that we don't want to do our walk from afar. We don't want to just do this, oh, I hear the Lord, I see the Lord, the scripture is good, I believe that to be true, and then that's it. We have to actually embrace the gifts of God and the promises of God and walk through them. The reason why I say that is I want you to hear that as the precipice to what we're going to see in Rahab's life. This is the exact setup to understanding what the calling is and then walking in it. So join me, Joshua chapter 2, and let's look at verse 1. And then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies. I don't want to say it in church, guys. (laughs) Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So I want to let you know something. There's, uh, you can kind of gloss over some scriptures and just say, like, you know, this is kind of, a, you know, just the, the setup to the story. But what's really cool is Joshua is already showing some leadership that, he, that Moses didn't exemplify. Remember, last time they sent uh, uh, spies in the land, how many did they send? Does anybody remember? Twelve. And ten came back and were little negative Nancys, weren't they? And they were naysayers, and guess what? They didn't go and take the land, did they? So this time, Joshua goes, let's just send two strong, faithful believers and let them run the show. So he's already showing a little bit different. He said, you know what? I don't like those other numbers. And you know, also another thing he does, he didn't do it publicly. He sent them quietly to just go do what they needed to do, which I love this. Does anybody here like spy movies? Is there any Christians in the room? All right, good, thank you. I like a good spy movie. It's not bad. Um, I love this because... This is interesting to me because we get to a part of the Bible where spies are involved. Um, but it's, I want to bring this up because this can going to be a very interesting point, um, that, they, the, that they would go to the house of a prostitute. And we'll just address that in the beginning. Did they participate in any of the goings-on of the house of a prostitute? No. But this was a great place for cover because most of the time, uh, a lot of this, and we, I didn't really know this until you get into, like, intrigue, of like medieval times and things like this. A lot of information, even to this day, is exchanged in the cover of a brothel because people come and go for various different reasons, from various different places. And so the Jews knew, these particular spies knew, if they went there as outsiders, this would be okay for them to kind of disappear into the crowd. And I want to tell you why this is important. Remember in the previous chapter and even before this, leaving Egypt, the name of Israel is spreading through the land. And so if you show up looking like an Israelite, then you could raise red flags because they're already going on the conquering, right? They're already entering into the promised land. And so Jericho is in DEFCON, right? Like they're in DEFCON 1. They're like, look, well, I just want to let you know something's about to go down. So if Jews show up, they're like, oh my gosh, they're here. So this is why they hid there. So I just want to touch base that there's no proof because some people have abused this verse. I say that they did something wrong there, but they did not. Look at verse two. The king of Jericho was told, look, But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. And so the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. So Rahab takes a huge risk here, does she not? She aligns herself with Jericho's enemy. And in doing so, she has now put herself in alignment with them, which is like, now she's corroborated. She's, she's committing treason at this point. But it's kind of interesting to show what this kind of courage she had inside of her body, right? To, to look at these people and just say, hey, we're, we're safe behind the walls of Jericho. We'll be fine. They're right here. The spies are right here. But something in her responded to this moment, and she said, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going with Israel, and we're going to unpack a little bit more why. But I wanted to know something here is she lies, isn't that interesting? And the Bible doesn't gloss over it. The Bible doesn't condone it, right? The Bible doesn't condone it, but neither does it condemn it. And I find that fascinating because this is kind of close to, I don't know if you remember when we were in the book of Exodus, when the midwives were asked to turn over the Hebrew boys for, for execution, for infanticide. and what did they do? They lied. They didn't know. They said, oh, these Jewish women are so hardy. When they have a baby, they just immediately grab it and run away before we can get there. And so Pharaoh's like, I thought you were going to be my help. And they lied. But I want to let you know that the Bible here doesn't say it's okay to commit a sin. But in this particular case, the Lord looks at the heart of the person. They're trying to prevent something that circumvents even God's law. We know that God wouldn't have a heart to murder babies. And here, obviously God has a plan for Rahab and he has a, a plan for the people of Israel. Did he need her to lie? Does God need anybody to lie? Can he still make it happen? Do you remember Peter was in a prison at one time and somehow, way, an angel just showed up and said, hey, Peter, get dressed, let's go. And they just slipped out. And that was supernatural. And so I just wanna point this way. It's like, you don't have to lie your way through a situation. Something supernatural could happen. But I love that the Bible shows Rahab for who she is. She's a pagan woman who grew up in a pagan culture, works in a brothel, and she's actually essentially committed a sin in trying to help the nation of Israel. And the Bible doesn't cower away from that, but actually goes to that. And it just shows you that if there was another way that Rahab could have seen to do it, she would have done it. But this is a new person who's getting to know God. And so that there isn't a grace that is being extended from God to this person in her, let's call it spiritual infancy, Right? When I was a spiritual baby, I had spiritual milk. And then when I got more mature, I had spiritual meat. And so that's something that I think that we should take to heart when we are dealing with spiritual infants that walk in the church or people that are in our lives or just around us. I think we should take a pause in a moment and go, what kind of grace is God doing when he holds the spiritual bottle to this baby? Should I not also be graceful with this person and do not demand and ask more than what the Lord does? Just an interesting point just want to put there for you. Look at verse 8. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof. See, they're not staying the night with her. They're up on the roof. They're being good boys. And it said to them in verse 9, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sion and Og. And the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God. I love that. In heaven above and earth below. What's amazing about this comment is she just said two different events that are miles apart, and yet they're living in the minds and the hearts of everyone who's not aligned with God. Let me give you the case in point here. The Red Sea actually took place 40 years ago. And people are still talking about it. They're like, did you hear the God of the slaves of Egypt? Did you hear what he did? He dried up the Red Sea. The Israelites went through, right? They were fine. They went to the other side. Then Egypt, now think about this. This would be like a superpower. This would be like saying United States of America or Russia or China pursued this tiny little nation, went down through the waters, and God crushed them under the waters, We just watched Prince of Egypt the other day. Can't begin to tell you how many goosebumps I still have after watching it for the millionth time and how many tears I shed right through the whole story. But one thing that amazes me is watching all those Egyptians get stuck in the same sand that was dry for the Israelites. And this is what the people of Jericho are talking about. She combines and she says, this is where we first heard about you. And then she goes on to say, you know, the the Amorite kings, that was like yesterday. So she combines both of these things and goes, you guys, we, we know who you are because your God is real. She's not, she's not looking at them and going, you guys are amazing. She's saying, your God is amazing. Now look at verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord, or please swear to me by your amazing God that has done all this, that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. And the men say this back to her, I love it. Our lives for your lives. The men assured her, if you don't, if you, if you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So once again, I just want to put this before you. This is an amazing story of a woman who has no prior knowledge or culture in the Lord, has heard about the Lord, and immediately something in her spirit responds and says, this is the God of heaven. She's already said it, the God of heaven and the God of the, of the land, right? And she is acknowledging. Think about this. We could look at a person and I think in a million years, this person will never know the Lord. And immediately this lady who runs a brothel goes, your God is real. Save me when the time comes. I, I love this because this is actually where we started in Joshua chapter 1. If you could look at the screen, I want you to see the challenge that comes from Joshua 1 that is played out in Joshua chapter 2. It says in verse 7 on the screen, it says, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you, and do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep the book of the law on your lips and meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Says it twice. Pay attention when the Lord tells you something twice. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. You know what's fascinating about this particular line of of Scripture is that I did a little study on this. Uh, Do not be afraid or or something that's close to it is spoken 365 times in the Bible. Does that sound like a mistake for you from the God or a coincidence? Isn't it amazing God chose to do 365 times do not be afraid, do not be discouraged, follow me, be strong and courageous. You know why? Because I want you to follow me with faith into all the good things I'm gonna do with you. And what are his promises that come out with it? Be strong and be courageous because I might not hit you or I might not punish you. No, he says, turn your mind and your heart and even your lips to my promises. Recite them daily so that you could walk in success. Why? Because it's so easy for us to fall away from faith, isn't it? Can't you, can't you just be like the disciples when God sent them in the boat? I always think about this moment when Jesus walks out on the water, right? And he has this miraculous moment. If you've ever seen like a movie or a TV show, it's so incredible because the disciples think they're about to die, right? And Jesus walks out and says, be of good cheer. But there's one little fun fact that we kind of forget that is always in play at that moment. Those guys were holding onto the baskets that Jesus just previously did, an amazing miracle, right, where he blessed them to the 5,000, Right? So they gave him two, lo- or two fish and five loaves, and he blessed it. Boom, he brings enough food for everybody that the disciples have baskets of to go. Does so everyone leave with a doggy bag and get real excited? Like dinner was great, but I got more for later. And you look at that and go, I can't wait to see you at midnight when my wife goes to sleep. This would be great. Like that's so excited. So this is how they're in there, and they're holding this miracle they're holding the miracles of God, they're holding the promises of God, and they're in the middle of a new storm, and they go, I think God has abandoned us. And yet the Lord says 365 times, what are you doing? I know you're in a new storm. I know where you're at. I know where your lack is, but I want you to hold on to the goodness that I've already given you. Build on that and keep your eyes on the horizon for when I show up, and I walk on the very thing that's supposed to crush you, and then you can step out of the boat and walk on the waves and hold that court with me and the very thing that should have destroyed you. Think about this. When Peter got out of the boat, he had to let go of one miracle to be a part of a new miracle. He at no point was actually under any threat of the storm until he took his eyes off Jesus Christ. But in the meantime, what is Peter doing? He's chock full of the blessings of God. Every spiritual blessing is coming to you through Jesus Christ. We are are going to and fro some things in this world that I can understand. Sometimes you have a tough time. Sometimes you have a rough life. Sometimes you get a bad phone call. And yet the Lord is saying, by faith, be strong. By faith, be courageous. By faith, recite my promises. By faith, walk through spiritual victories. But understand this you're pushing off one miracle likely to go to another miracle. Don't discount what God has already done in your life. What's challenging to us as Christians as we read the scripture, what's challenging to me as a person who has been so richly blessed by God is Rahab is meeting God for the first time. I have been blessed by God countless of times, but how many times have I said in the next new storm, God, where have you, where are you now? You've abandoned me. You've left me alone. And Jesus just taps me on the shoulder and goes, I'm standing right here in the storm with you. So the challenge for us is that we have a a, a woman who is not Jewish. She's not living out the promises of God. She's not reading the word every day. But the moment she's confronted by the God of rich blessings, she appeals to God, not out of fear just for his punishment, but she appeals to him and his blessing. Remember me when you guys come back. I have shown you kindness, show me kindness. She's not just talking out of fear. She's talking out of reverence. She's saying, I believe that you're the kind of God that can protect if you are willing. And I just think that's a very challenging verse for me that there's a lady who might possibly be living in a brothel, probably in a dark world, probably in a dark culture, in a dark situation. You've seen some of the movies that are coming out, you know, human trafficking. We know that that was probably a way of life here. And yet she might have more faith than Joey Everington on a day when she should not because I know the promises of God. And so the challenge for me is the next point I want to put up on the screen. It says this, fear and faith go hand in hand for the believer. Fear and faith go hand in hand for the believer. Now, the reason why I want to put the little thing at the bottom, fear equals, I want you to understand what that kind of fear is. It's healthy respect and reverent awe. It's not, I'm afraid of God. It's not the backhand of the Lord kind of fear. It's the kind of the fear where you look at the Lord and say, you know what? I know you're amazing. I know you're incredible. I know you have the power. And so therefore, I come to you humbly and say, Lord, I know you have your hand on me. I know you have a kindness and a heart for me. Why? I can just look at the cross. I can look at the cross and know that that kind of God can pour that kind of wrath out. So that keeps my, my respect very healthy, right? But who did he pour it out on? Jesus Christ. So my faith is in what? My faith is in his love for me. It's a very accurate statement. Just think about what she said. I see the God of heaven and earth coming here, and I'm appealing not to just his power. I'm appealing to his heart. A powerful message coming from a prostitute, don't you think? to sit there and say this particular God who's sweeping through the land and she's saying these things, you know what? There's an old kingdom that I was a part of, but I see a new kingdom coming. And in that new kingdom, I see a new king. And in that new king, I see a new way and a new law. And you know what it is? Not only is there this great power that's coming, there's this great kindness that is coming too. So that's very fascinating. Join me in verse 15. It says this. So she let them down by rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. And she said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Kind of an interesting amount of days, right? Verse 17, she said, now the men had said to her, the oath you had made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which your family... uh, Sorry, through which you let us down, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers, and all your family into the house. If any of them go outside your house or into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. I love how they talked back then, right? Let it be as you say. So that she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. And when they left, they went to the, into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along, all along the road and returned without finding them. And then two men started back and they went down out of the hills, forded the river and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened. And they said to Joshua, The Lord surely has given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. It's really interesting Um, As you move forward from this particular story into the New Testament, one thing I find fascinating is if you ever go, if you guys know this scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, um, there's a big strong talk about the hall of faith. You may have heard this before. Where In Hebrews 11, they talk about all the people of faith of the Old Testament. There's only two women that are spoken about in that hall of faith. One is Sarah and two is Rahab. It's amazing to me. Imagine like uh, football season is upon us soon and we'll soon have the Hall of Fame game, right, gentlemen? And uh, I'm really excited for that. And then if you've ever get a chance to go to, the, to Canton, Ohio, and you go to the Hall of Fame, you see all the greatest players. It's amazing to me that here's this woman who just is looking for an open relationship to the Lord to say, Lord, don't close me off. Don't cut me out. I know you're real. I know you're God. Will you just look at me? And the Lord says, that's the kind of faith that I want to put in the Hall of Fame. the kind of of faith that puts me in the particular place that I belong, the the place of king of heaven, king of earth, king over all things. This woman is not, once again, and we've said this on repeat, this woman is not looking at her situation. She's looking at the God of her situation, right? And this is what God is saying. You know what? This is the kind of person I could uh, build a a Bible verse out of. This is a person I can build a chapter out of. And I, I love that this is on there because this is a person that maybe you and I would pass on the street. Maybe we would turn the other way. And yet the Lord looks and goes, Look at the heart on this person. Which brings us to our next point. True faith, true faith that is, rests our weakness on God's strength. True faith rests our weakness on God's strength. And that's what you see in Rahab. Right now, you could be going through something and you just be like, You know, I believe God is awesome. I've I've seen God do some crazy things at monthly Monday prayer. I've seen people healed. I've I've, I've been in the room when people have come in with testimonies, but I don't know if God has that kind of a quality relationship or has a mind or a heart for me. And I just want to let you know something. The Bible says that Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for all how dare any of us stand before the Lord and belittle the heart and the passion and the reach that he has for us to say, I don't know if God is for me. I don't know if God cares for me. I just wanna put this in repeat for you right now. If God can save you from the, from the jaws of hell, can he rescue you from your current situation? Can he lift you up? Can he give you a word? Can he stand out in the waves with you and say, be of good cheer? You and I are going to stand on top of this situation, and we're going to have a praise night together. If you look at the screen, it says there, I just want to remind you of why she put her, her weakness on God's strength. She knows that when the armies of Israel come, she stands no chance. But she doesn't stand a chance because the armies of Israel are coming, but the army of Israel is coming with God. So she's taking her weakness and resting it against God's strength. It's kind of a fascinating thing when she says this. She knows that Jericho is under judgment. She knows that Jericho is going to lose. How does she know? She knows that the judge of heaven is on his way here and they're going to lose. But she also knows I'm part of this same society. I'm part of the problem. And I have to appeal to the heart of the judge before I can know that I'm going to be okay. Okay. But look how she does it. She takes her weakness and rests it against God's strength. I know that the Lord has given you the land. Look at the past tense. I know it's already gonna take place because you're God in where? Heaven and earth. At this particular time, there's a lot of people who believe that there were some gods in heaven and there were some gods in earth. Some people thought that you could get closer to the gods in heaven by going up on a mountain and worshiping. That's how you get them to hear because you were too far away if you were down in the valley. They were hard of hearing, had a lot of earwax. You had to go up high and go, hello, hello. And so what she is saying, is, she is breaking through her upbringing. She is breaking through her culture. Look how she says it, because the Lord is God of heaven and earth. She's saying God is God in totality. From her point of view, those are the words that she's saying. And I want you to think of how powerful this moment is. Because God is on a campaign, is he not? He has unleashed Joshua and his army to come take the promised land. And yet God would take his campaign and just take his foot off the gas and start putting his foot on the brake. Why? Because there was one soul in Jericho that believed. There was one soul in Jericho who wasn't good at reading the Bible. That wasn't perfect. They didn't go through awesome seminary theology school, right? They weren't at every Bible study. They didn't go to every Bible service, right? They didn't preach and listen to Z88.3 all day from their car, right? What did they do? They just knew that God was God and they they needed God. And this person was enough for God to go, hey, by the way, spies, go tell Joshua the story and make sure you put a scarlet cord around her her part of the wall because when the walls come tumbling down, she's going to be the only one left. This is the person that I want to stall my wrath for. You understand this, that Jesus Christ is putting himself in between, not just you and your sin, but between you and God's wrath? Just think about this. God is saving you just as much as he's saving you from your sin. He's saving you from his own wrath. And so it is kind of weird for us to think that this particular God may not be interested in us. If God was not interested in us, we would be crushed under the wrath that was designated to us. But God saw you, counted the hairs on your head, looked at your sin and said, you know what? I love you enough, I'll slide myself in between you and the wrath. I wanna make sure that you have eternity so that you could look at me and know that I am loving first and that you should have the faith a deep seat of faith that will lead you from here to eternity. Do you believe that the God who saves is the God who cares? Then start bringing to him everything that he has planned to you. But so you look at a situation and go, "Not you know what, this situation stinks. I just got a phone call from the doctor. This is terrible. Start going, God, what are, what are you going to do about this? God, how are you gonna show me salvation? How are you, I can't do this, Lord. I trust that you are God over heaven and earth. I trust that you are God over my diagnosis. I trust that you are God over my bank account. I trust that you are God over my family. It's falling apart. Do what only you can do. You know what the Lord says? Have faith. Take a moment, take a beat, rest in me. I want you to see how that rest looks. Look at Hebrews on the screen. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. I love this. Rahab the prostitute, rather than walk in disobedience, runs to faith in God. Rahab didn't fully know God, but she had faith that God knew her. She had faith that God had a plan. You know what she did? She had faith that God was God and she was not. And she had a moment. She goes, "Maybe God knows something I don't, because I'm just a little lady on a wall, and I'm caught in between two warring nations that I didn't ask for this. But I trust that God is good. If He's the kind of God that would free slaves from Egypt, maybe He'd be the kind of God that would free me from this burden. We don't even know if she asked for this life. We don't know if she asked to be in a brothel. We don't know if she asked to be a prostitute. But she saw Jesus Christ, or the message of Jesus Christ in God, and you know that salvation, that deliverance in, in sorry in Joshua." and said, you know what? I'd like that. I'd like to be a part of that. And if he has a heart for me, I have a heart for him. Think about this. She turned from a life of sin. It goes on to say that she would actually marry into the Jewish nation after she was saved. She would have children. Do you know that her children, starting as a prostitute, she would later become the legacy and the lineage of Jesus Christ? Look at the screen, Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon became the father of Boaz by Rahab. And Boaz became the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed became the father of Jesse. And we know who Jesse is, the father of David. Just think about this particular thing. Think of how powerful the pool of God's grace is. Don't have a, a lack of faith in yourself. and Don't have faith in yourself. Have faith in the grace of God. Look at this. Not only did God, once again, slow down his campaign, his war campaign, he rescued this woman from sin. Not only did he rescue her from sin, he's rescued her from God's wrath. Not only did he rescue her from God's wrath, what did he do? He redeemed and restored her life. She married into the nation of Israel. The person that some people believe I don't know how true this is some of the people believe that Salman was one of the spies that met her that night. How romantic is that, ladies, right? Is God not able to like weave in a tale tonight, right? But not only that, Salman became a prince. He became a prince of Judah, and then she became a princess. Can you imagine? You could start your day a prostitute. Jesus could look at you and say, you're a princess. You are what I say you are. You are who I redeem you to be. You are who my blood that saved you on the cross makes you to be. And then wove her story into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. How amazing do the blessings, every spiritual blessing is yours through Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8. By the way, isn't it amazing how Ephesians and Joshua seem to be companion, companion books from New Testament to Old Testament? Look at this. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. So God is coming to you. He's presenting you the gift of grace. Your job is this. Reach out and receive it. Reach out and receive it. Reach out and believe You know, sometimes it's amazing to me. Um, I don't know how challenged you might be in this particular moment, but we could go through the book of Galatians. We could go through the book of Romans. We could go through Exodus. We can do all this verse by verse. And I feel so emboldened by the the scripture, right? And it builds you up. And then I can have a conversation with somebody who I know is taking deep notes because I see them scribbling and scribbling. You're like, you know when someone's pen's really loud, you're like, they're going through something right now, right?" right? And then I can meet them in the lobby and they can have this moment when they go, Joey, I heard everything that Pastor Ryan or Craig or you said today, and it was amazing, but I don't know if it applies to me. And I asked them, do you believe that God is God? And they say, absolutely. Then why wouldn't you believe that he is who he says he is? And he says, by grace, you have been saved through faith. Do you have faith that God is the God who he says he is on the cross? Do you believe that God is the God who says he is, that he would reach down from heaven and reach into your mess and save you from yourself? Do you believe that he's the kind of God that would slide in between you and the wrath of God for the love of you? Do you believe that God is love? And they say, yes. And I go, so what's the problem? He goes, it's just hard to believe that that's meant for me. It would be kind of like this, and this is how a, the book of James would kind of play it out. Just I'm gonna give you a, an illustration. It'd be like if we were in an airplane, right? And we were on the tarmac and the you know the stewardess comes by and is like, everybody needs a belt up, put your seatbelts on. And then the person next to me, which this has actually happened, goes, I don't know if I should be here right now. And I'm like, well, the pilot's speaking and we're getting ready to go. And they are like, I don't know, can this plane even fly? And I'm like, well, it's a little too late because we're about to take off. And I'm like, do you, do you believe that Planes fly, and they're like, I, "Have you ever seen a plane take off?" And they're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Have you ever seen a plane make it safely to the other side?" And they're like, "Yeah." So what's the problem here? And go, I don't know if I deserve this. I don't know if I don't know if this particular thing takes place. I, I just want to. Uh, maybe I should get up and get out and watch you guys do this. But that's not how grace works. That's not how Christ following works. God has showed up in your life and said. The wrath of God is coming for you because you are not good, but I have a plan for you. I need you to reach to this gift that I've given you, which is the salvation of Jesus Christ, which is going to rescue you not only from your situation, I'm gonna rescue you from you because you can't save yourself. And by faith, you should just receive that the gift that I give you is not only true, that it's good. And in doing that, you can now rest the work that it needs to be done in your life isn't your work, it's Jesus Christ's work. And Jesus Christ has already done that work. And Jesus Christ already went to the cross. And Jesus Christ continually sheds his blood and pays that, that penance for you always. Jesus Christ is in heaven right now as high priest and stands before the Lord and says, by the way, have you seen my servant, whoever, in this room, Joey? Have you seen him? Yes, he made a couple of boo-boos today. Some of them were some big boo-boos, but I paid for that. I paid for it. I did it in my blood. I did it in my work. And he has faith. He's not perfect, but he's the recipient of the gift. Look at James chapter 2 on the screen. It says it this way. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Goes down to verse 25 in James chapter 2, it says this In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? Just know this is how powerful this moment is in Scripture is that on repeat, the New Testament reminds us over and over and over again that this lady didn't just believe, she reached out in faith. And God met her. In faith, It didn't matter her disobedience. It didn't matter her performance that day. What mattered is that she was about to meet the Lord through faith because she believed not that she was good, she believed that God was good. If you are in this room right now and you are suffering through a moment and you just feel like God doesn't have a plan for you and maybe somehow you're different from everybody else, understand that that is a lie from the devil. The Lord is rich and luxurious, it says in Ephesians, and how he pours out grace on us. And Rahab has demonstrated to us exactly what Joshua once said. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. The Lord, 365 days a year, will remind you, I am for you and not against you. I am for you and not against you. I'm preparing the way. I'm leading you in places that you can never go by yourself spiritually, you should be dead, but spiritually, you have been resurrected in the love of Jesus Christ. Not one person here has earned that by their spiritual Christian report card. And so what we should do is now rest in this moment. And I just want you to think about this. Forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life come through Jesus Christ, and we can easily see that. But understand this, that the same cord that was connected to Rahab's porch and was flowing in the wind is the same red cord that was splashed across the Passover wall, right? Over the doorposts, and death passed over. Imagine me coming to you today and going, by the way, kill your favorite lamb. and Put that blood over there because tonight, death is coming to visit. And the only thing that's gonna save us is not the blood of the lamb in itself, but our faith in the blood of the lamb. Because you can believe and not do anything, Right? You could believe that death is coming. You could believe that God's telling it you, but until you receive the gift, you will not be a part of God's grace. And so we cannot stand back and afar and look at this particular moment and go, you know what, deliverance is true for everybody but me. Deliverance is true because God says it's true. It is up to us to believe that the God of the Bible has said it is true for you. For God has come to save all of the world. And just think about this deliverance. Look at the deliverance from the house of shame to the hall of fame. It wasn't just a deliverance from prostitution. It was a deliverance into the kingdom of God. She married a prince. She became in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And now what has happened? The judge would also be her deliverer. Isn't that amazing? The judge would also be her deliverer. The one who would ultimately judge you is ultimately the one that delivers you. And so the one that would hold you accountable for your sin is just as sweet when he receives you and says, by faith, receive the goodness that I have. You will never perform good enough to please me. I will never show you more love. You cannot earn more of God's love than what he showed you on the cross already. So there's no no reason for performance. There's only reason for faith. Faith. And so tonight, I just want to give you an opportunity to take this moment. Um, You have been saved by faith in God's grace, in his goodness, in his kindness, in his compassion. But I want you to stop and think about this moment. Why did Jesus do that for you? Why did Jesus put himself through that? Why did he put himself on the cross for you? It's a moment to be confronted with, right? To feel his compassion, to feel your lack, and to feel his generosity, to feel his kindness. You don't feel his punishment or you don't feel his wrathful, vengeful eyes from the cross, do you? I think about this moment many times where I'm standing before the cross, and this is a visualization. There's no part of the Bible that says this, but I stand before the cross and I've just made a mistake. And I look up at the cross and I'm so devastated by the fact that Jesus Christ has to shed his blood for my mistake, which I knowingly did. It doesn't matter if I was fed up or frustrated. I know what I did. I made the choice. And yet what I see from the cross is grace. What I see from the cross is mercy. And that changes my relationship with him. Because now I just want to humbly bow down before the Lord and say, please forgive me. And as I say, please forgive me, Lord, I love you. And as I say, Lord, I love you, I say, just splash your grace all over me because if you don't give me your grace, I have nothing. Spiritually, I have nothing. And yet when I walk through that deliverance, when I walk through that redemption, what's on the other side? The same blessings that are available to Rahab. All of a sudden, I'm a royal priest of the kingdom of heaven. A royal priest. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine an angel right after you sin and ask for forgiveness, an angel shows up with a badge? Royal priest. Royal priest. Special delivery for you from God directly. Signed the, he signed the certificate this morning. Amazing. To think that he would become the groom to us as a bride. That he would choose us in this particular way. That he would give us eternal life. That he would exchange our death for his life. Do you realize that the life that you are living in Jesus Christ is because he wanted you to have his life so he could take on your death? He actually physically takes on your death so that you could be his life. How honorable is that to receive his righteousness in exchange for your wretched rags of sin? And this is the God that we think that we can question who absolutely, I'm not sure if you love me. I'm not sure if you're for, for me. But by faith, the scarlet cord that extended from Rahab's porch is also the same scarlet cord that extends to our heart. The only reason that sinful, broken Joey is standing here and preaching the words of life is because the grace of God is so rich and luxurious. The only reason I'm not dead in my sins is because the grace of God is so rich and luxurious. I don't have faith in me. I don't have faith in anything. I have faith in Jesus Christ. And what he has done in my life is real. And how I know that it's true is that the only good parts of me that can't be taken away, the only good parts of me that can't be shaken are the ones that are connected to him in unity by the Spirit. And so we're gonna just take a moment. Um, I feel like this would be a time for us to just bow our heads and close our eyes. But if you're in this room and you have felt far away from Jesus Christ, understand that the scripture that we just read says otherwise. Jesus Christ is in this room right now working. Working on you. The Holy Spirit is coming to you and convicting you, not just of sins, but of his salvation, of his kindness, and of his generosity. If you've been battling and you've been struggling and you feel far away from God, now in your heart, and your mind, say, God, it's not about me, it's about you. But you know what I'm going through. So I humbly lay those things at your feet. I don't know what you have going on, but in your heart right now, just tell him what you have. He already knows, but tell him what you have. I know your eyes are locked on me. I know you know me better than me. And I know whatever situation that I am about to walk through or I am currently walking through really needs to be dredged right through your ocean of grace. Submerge it, Lord. Just submerge my whole life in your grace. I know that as you hold back your judgment and I hold, you hold back your wrath, that it's your kindness that's surging forth. Lord, I could use your kindness today. I could use divine favor I could use breakthrough. I could use salvation. I could use chains being broken. I could use a stronghold just being broken off of me. I could just use the enemy being driven away. But understand this, the same God, the same Jesus Christ who died and was buried and resurrected, the same spirit that is in him is now dwelling in you. That is a God that is intimately involved with you and loves you. Right now, if you're in this room, just call out in your mind, in your heart, if you'd like. If you need to, raise your hand to say, Lord, free me of this burden. Free me of this stronghold. Free me of what the enemy has stolen. Restore and redeem, whatever it is. Thank you for raising your hand. If anybody else needs to, just raise your hand. We're going to be in solitude with you. Pray with each other. Yes, thank you, thank you. I want to be released today, but I don't appeal to the Lord in any other way than your grace. I have faith in your grace. Your grace is bigger than my situation. It's more powerful than my situation. I know that your protection is through your son, Jesus Christ, and I call upon his name. And right now, I don't demand anything, but I say this, Lord, please honor my prayer request. Free me. Free me. I walk in your promises. I preach your promises back to you. And I say this, Lord, be the God of your promises and save me today. In Jesus' holy name, amen.